reality the film watching itself uh it, because it's it's re <laughs> reality the girl watching the tape and the thing on the tape is the film reality Welcome back to Are You Watching Closely? I'm Spencer Channel. And I'm Mallory Strom. I'm a composer, writer, and IMDb nerd. And I'm an artist, mathematician, and I use Netflix as a nightlight. <laughs> <laughs> you went out to the movie theater with your friends and you saw just the best movie ever. And you're so excited about it. You all got together afterward and talked about it, nerded out about it. Spencer and I are those friends. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to break down your favorite films and TV episodes with the level of excitement uh, that you and your friends would after seeing it for the first time. Uh -huh, absolutely. And today we are watching Reality. Oh, God. <laughs> Filmed by Quentin Dupieux. Réalité. Réalité. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm not as good at French as Spencer is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I studied it for like six years, so that makes sense. And I sense. studied it for zero. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, who recommended reality to us? Oh, Austin. Austin. Our, our listener, Austin, uh, uh, <laughs> was like, you know, if you guys want a challenge, uh, oh, why don't you, you break Austin. down reality? <laughs> um, and I'm like, no, we need a film. <laughs> no, he said, yeah, if you want a challenge, uh, 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 go ahead and watch Reality by Quentin Dupieux. Um, it's uh, one of Austin's favorite movies. Um, it's one of the three I think he proposed that we watch. And, and I was like, oh, heck yeah, we're going to totally do reality. Uh -huh. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> So Spencer and I have both seen reality before. So this was my second time watching it. Spencer, it's probably more than that for you, right? I like to think that I, I see reality pretty clearly all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I question my own perception constantly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, the first time I saw the film reality was uh, I was a, a senior in high school. And this is a very funny story, actually. Um, I saw reality in 2016. I was a senior in high school. I went to Interlock and Arts Academy for my senior year and i was studying french i was it was my fifth year of studying french um and i watched reality over a weekend and then monday was french class um and i went to french class and you know the the teacher asked as she does at the beginning of every week she asked the students you know to a ce weekend what would you do this weekend what's what's happening and we all you know are to answer in french practicing kind of our casual conversation what we did what we watched or if you know we watched a movie like oh it was about this so i was like oh j'ai vu un film réalité par quentin dupieux and i watched the film reality by quentin dupieux and she was like oh yeah tell us about it <laughs> oh man so you know as challenging as it is austin it's a great challenge for us to try and break down reality on the podcast imagine trying to explain the film reality in french uh having studied it only for five years in a classroom setting um i was like i i definitely i was like say it say un cauchemar uh reality il y a un nombre de it was crazy uh i i was just i i couldn't do it i did my best um uh so today's you know Breaking it down in English is going to be, I think, comparatively a, a, a smaller <laughs> challenge than trying to do it 
in <laughs> French. In a language you've only studied for a few years as a senior in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's hoping. I mean, the first time I saw reality, I, I think we projected it onto like a dorm room wall oh was it you and i together yeah i think so <laughs> so <laughs> i we I, watch I, it like on the wall i i don't remember but i shared reality with you so yeah, was, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You remember, that's very cool uh, so that was also kind of a trippy experience especially because just like that particular year of college was very uh, like kind of like a, a reality trip in itself <laughs> so we very much sort of uh sympathized with the, this little girl reality who whose parents and who's like uh school superintendents are like no reality like <laughs> <laughs> a little bit don't be curious about what's on the tape uh-huh. <laughs> or we'll call your parents <laughs> uh, yeah. but like then and even today like the effect that this film just has on me it just kind of it's so enjoyable because it's so trippy i i can't figure out what's up and down um it is indeed an eczema attack but on the inside on the, the inside, inside of, of your, your head. head is it my head uh, no it's head. oh it's head oh, yeah it's very you're, much head. you're you're right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, okay. We've got some feedback from listeners about needing to like summarize films at the the onset, just uh-huh. so that we sort of refresh for anyone who hasn't watched them in a while. Mm-hmm. So reality is um, a film uh, with many different storylines that are kind of interwoven in ways that are, are a little <laughs> confusing. Um, you know, it sets up expectations and thwarts them by having different narratives taking place in what is assumed to be reality. Um, what else is like, dreams nightmares um and in movies being made within the movie things on tape um there's a bunch of different sort of narrative frames that happen that follow various characters one of them is a camera operator at a studio mm-hmm. who's also an independent filmmaker played by alan shabat who is trying to produce a film uh, or is trying to direct a film and he's he's pitching it to a producer he's asking like the star of the the show on in the studio to act in his film there's Reality, who is a little girl. Her dad is a hunter, and she sees uh, a, a, VHS, a VHS tape fall out of the guts of this hog as he's cleaning the hog. And Reality, the girl, is being filmed by Zog for, for a film that Zog is making. Um, and he Zog is sort of in this uh, kind of battle with a film producer, um, Bob... Marshall. Marshall. Uh, and Bob thinks Zog is like using too much film or like filming boring shots for too long. And Zog just like has his vision and he's going <laughs> to make it. And he's, uh, he's, he wants Bob to be patient or just like, shut up. I'm doing, I'm doing my job. He's like kind of an auteur and yeah. And Bob yeah. doesn't quite, he believes in him. Doesn't quite get it. Yeah. So there's, there's this filmmaker, there's this little girl, there's this, this, uh, camera operator. Um, there's this, the, the star of the, the studio show, whatever the show is, it's like a cooking show maybe. Uh-huh. Um, but he thinks he has like eczema. He itches all over, um, from his costume or something. Um, uh-huh. there's, there's the, the indie filmmaker, um, the, the camera operator guy, his wife is a therapist who mm-hmm. works from home and who treats the school superintendent who 
maybe dresses up like a woman in his dreams or maybe in reality. (laughs) (laughs) We're not exactly sure um, or if that matters even. (laughs) Right. But yeah, he he dresses up and drives around in a military Jeep. Uh um, And he is a superintendent at the little girl's school. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we've missed any major narrative lines. Right. Um, Well, there is the the specialist, the, uh, the doctor that the cooking show star sees for his presumed eczema. Yeah. That's one of the tactics of the, the, the star of the cooking show is to go in and see a, a dermatologist uh-huh. and the dermatologist becomes kind of a, 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 re- a remaining part of the whole thing eventually. But uh-huh. um, if you, you know, if you've seen reality, this is probably a good enough refresh for you to remember kind of the different uh, plot lines that happen in the characters involved. Um, yeah. But Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hard to piece together immediately after you've seen it. So. <laughs> but maybe at least now you remember, uh, you know, jog your memory about the different stuff. Uh-huh. So I'm excited to dive in and break and, and start just like <laughs> trying to break it down. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so as far as breaking down this film, um, I, I love reality so much. I was awestruck when I saw it the first time. The experience of watching it is so disorienting. Mm-hmm. Every time you think you've formed a conclusion and, and you've figured out kind of what is happening narratively, um, something happens to subvert that expectation. Um, and it's just really fun to keep going along and thinking you're so close to like solving it. And then for the thing that is revealed to be something that like obfuscates and ambiguate did not that obfuscates and makes more ambiguous. I think ambiguate <laughs> is something different. Um, it, you know, it, it, it just at every turn, uh, has something new to sort of, uh, throw you off the scent. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I, I think that's so true. And the first time I really had that experience was after we think, okay, the superintendent had a dream and, that's why the dream shouldn't have worked. So maybe he has seen reality before around school and ended up putting that face in his dream. And maybe he's seen the cooking show and ended up putting the actor's face in his dream. But then when reality also has a memory of having seen him (laughs) in the military Jeep wearing women's clothing, that throws that entire theory like out of balance and Uh it doesn't work anymore. (laughs) When she uses that as, like, a, like she blackmails the superintendent into right. letting her keep her tape. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the psychological phenomenon you're referencing is called manifest content, oh. where you fall asleep and things that happened in real life suddenly appear in your dreams and your brain kind of keeps playing with them uh, in dream state. Yeah. Um, in a way that feels real, you know, when you're dreaming, it, was, it isn't until you wake up that you realize something was actually strange. That's a quote from Inception. Huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I can think of another very clear example of, of uh, a moment when the movie subverts your expectations or your conclusions you formed, which is kind of the the crux of the 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 film, like the meeting with the goddess, uh, in a way, is f- discovering what's on the tape. Uh-huh. Um, that is kind of like the A story, I guess, <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. Like, you know, reality is the first character we meet is this little girl, um, it, it, you know, in her dad's van while he's off hunting and and we root for her as she's trying to figure out what's on this tape throughout the whole film and finally when we figure out what's on the tape it turns out it's actually the film itself uh, another narrative frame for the film uh-huh. um and that's the moment i think when there are the most 
uh, like stories happening concurrently in the same shot. Um, because like eventually what we see is like Bob Marshall and Zog watching his footage, Zog's footage from the day. Uh-huh. And his footage is of the little girl reality who is in his movie. And she has put a, a, VH, a VHS tape in her TV and she is watching uh, Jason, the camera operator played by Alain Shabbat, uh, who has locked himself up uh, it, it, because he, he, he's losing his grip. Um, we see that all happen at the same time because we're watching uh, from Bob Marshall's perspective past Zog at the silver screen, which is playing the footage of reality who is watching on her TV, Jason. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, I think it's the most frames within frames in any moment in the, in the movie, which yeah. in one sense makes it kind of seem like enlightening. Like it's like, oh, all we needed was like one more frame and we can like complete the loop, I guess, uh, where like Bob Marshall has a phone conversation with Jason. Um, and all it takes is like one more narrative frame for us to connect between Bob Marshall and Jason in this moment. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But also, it's just like one more narrative frame, and then you're just gonna give up on on finding the true narrative frame, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, it's like this one. We need to know what's on the tape. We're reminded of that through the whole film. And right. Bob Marshall, in, in a previous scene, is like, I, you know, my patience is wearing thin. Uh, I can only wait so long. Uh-huh. And so we think, like, oh, whatever is on the tape is gonna be the key to this thing. You know, uh-huh. we've been we've been watching as closely as we can this whole time. It, once we learn what is on the tape, it's gonna it's gonna fix all of the seeming contradictions contradictions we've seen so far. Yeah. Like whatever's on the tape is gonna be the key to unraveling this whole uh, like brain itching disaster <laughs> structurally. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. But I also felt like as the movie ramped up and like started making less and less uh, like logical sense, I I started to think maybe the what's on the tape is actually just going to be the thing that'll finally like put the nail in the coffin and prove once and for all <laughs> that Quentin DePierre is just messing with you. <laughs> well, I, I guess we could say he's messing with you in another sense, another very real sense though. Like the it's, it's the nail in the coffin that like we're watching the film the wrong way. You know what mm, I mean? Uh-huh. It's not so much that we're being messed with because I don't, I don't think the film is like, I, it, it sort of like guides you incrementally into, a new way of experiencing this movie uh-huh. um, where it doesn't really matter whether something is a dream or reality or like a frame or a, a movie or like it all all it, it just like guides you into this like this 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 pinpoint spot where we finally see what's on the tape which just leads us to another frame of the film uh-huh. um, or rather another narrative frame in the film which I guess is to say that like the key to understanding this movie is to just stop worrying about how everything relates and just to like enjoy the characters and the situations and the stories that are unfolding, even if you can't quite make sense of the like literal sort of like uh, plot details and, and structure of it and how everything relates to each other. Like you can still enjoy the adventure that each character is on uh, indifferent to like their place in this story world um, and how their character's reality relates to another character's reality. Yeah. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) I also think the film keeps tempting you or tempting me at least to try and find the thing that'll link everything up to try and find the way that things work logically (laughs) because even like right towards the end of the film, the, star of the cooking show like knocks on on the the indie filmmaker jason knocks on jason's car window and says 
I need to talk to you. I think we're the same person. <laughs> and I'm like, is that the thing that makes everything work? Are they just the same person? Is that how we get two Jasons in the same room at the same time? Two Jasons at like completely different points in time meeting at the same place yeah <laughs> and like the only re- i think the only reason that we uh, in that moment believe that that might be a, might be a valid interpretation of what is going on is because of one simple thing that happens which is that um when when two the, the, jason is at his camera filming in the studio and another version of himself walks in the door and when that happens the jason at the camera passes out um, and the, immediately we cut to Napoleon Dynamite uh, waking up. And mm. I think just because of that, I said Napoleon Dynamite. It's the, the actor who played <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. I'm going to refer to him as Napoleon Dynamite the whole time because I don't remember <laughs> anything about his character or his actual name. I'm sorry. Um, I think it's nothing more than just the fact that we cut from Alain Shabbat passing out to Napoleon Dynamite waking up <laughs> that we, for some reason, think that that's related. You know what I yeah. mean? And so when when he goes and knocks on the window and is like, I think, I, I think we're the same person, we're like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> you have a sense that that might be legit because just because of the way that two shots were put in relation to each other. That's yeah. what I think. I don't know. I don't think we have any other reason to think that that's true except for that. It, Maybe there's one more piece of evidence that makes that theory of Napoleon Dynamite and Alain Shabbat being the same person <laughs> makes it plausible. And that's that once Napoleon Dynamite wakes up and he says, I don't understand what's going on. After that shot, we never see the second Jason who just walked into the studio again. Oh, we yeah. only see the passed out Jason next to the camera. The Jason who walked in disappears entirely. Right. And so it seems that... Napoleon Dynamite waking up justifies the Jace, the second Jason having been there. I guess. I mean, in a weird way, yeah. It's like you can't have both in the same room. You can't have, like, the, the second Jason in the same room with Napoleon Dynamite. Right. Like, maybe... <laughs> I guess it, it leads you to, to wonder if the, 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 like, duplicate Jason is the same as the, the one and only Napoleon Dynamite. And uh-huh. that, like, actually, it's not that Napoleon Dynamite's the same as Jason, but as Jason's clone. Yeah. Which, I, 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 here's my thing, is I'm like, okay, we could probably talk all episode about all the possible ways that could explain parts of the film. But I think any theory that we land on to explain some of it, or even most of it, uh, will still be contradicted by another part of the movie. Right. Which, it, for that reason, I think it, it makes it just a fruit this uh search like i think it's it's not what's important what's important is the fact that it, it, none of the theories do work um uh-huh. and you can't explain <laughs> tides go in tides go out you can't explain that you can't explain <laughs> the film um using all these different narrative structures and contradictory ways and framing devices and it just it 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 messes with ontological narrative storytelling mm-hmm. in a way that i think it's more important to just enjoy what it is as opposed to focus too much on trying to fit it in the boxes that we are used to you know what i mean right and i think the fact that throughout the movie it's still tempting to try and find that ontological narrative is is the reason why it can still 
just be completely disorienting and like have that effect on you even if you also are able to watch it for just like what are these characters in and like what story is each what journey is each character on Mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's aware that it's doing that to you too like it tells you yeah absolutely (laughs) it is an eczema attack but on the inside the inside of your head and the whole like you have to be patient you know my i only have so much patience right (laughs) it'll be worth it (laughs) yeah yeah i think you know the fact that you know you you stay interested to the end of the film is a testament to the fact that it a film does not require uh traditional narrative like uh logic um that Mm -hmm. uh, stories and movies are still enjoyable um and in fact maybe even more enjoyable if they're not limited to having to uh having to limit the power of the story to uh reality to Mm. like how things work in real life that like you go into a movie for the for the purposes of escaping real life in a lot of ways and so Mm -hmm. why should the narrative structure of the film mirror reality at all like why not just have things be dreams and nightmares and reality and shows and movies within the movie itself in a way that just uh you know it it makes sense only in the universe of the film right and and I think that speaks to sort of a, a fascination with sci-fi as well, where like sci-fi world build, building is often very complex and r- really gratifying in its complexity. But there are always little holes where you're like, wait, that doesn't make sense. But it's no fun if you watch a sci-fi movie and like find all the little holes. Um, it's so much more fun if you if you just let it be a movie and enjoy the characters for the journeys that they're on and not having to worry about how it maps up to the reality that (laughs) you believe you know. (laughs) So in a sense, this movie, like, there are no holes in this film. Like, you can't be taken out of the the immersion of the story uh, by a little detail that, like, oh, that didn't make sense. Uh, If you think about the rest of the... Like, Uh this film is like, no, none of it makes any sense. And if you're trying to make it make sense you're watching it for the wrong purpose Uh and you need to just uh don't analyze just listen (laughs) which is what jason says to alice his wife uh when he's trying to tell her about this nightmare he had in his car Mm. um she says i have a slot open at 11 a.m tomorrow and he's like no don't analyze just listen Uh just listen and i think that's what the film wants us to do is like stop trying to analyze it like just go along for the ride listen to it enjoy it um, and that's that's all we want, like, you know, uh, with stories. We just want to listen to a good story. Um, and, like, don't get caught up in all the little, you know, the, the things that ultimately don't matter. The framing and um, and the, the logic of it. Like, what matters is the characters and, and the things that they're pursuing and, and the realizations they have. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, you just have to, like, kind of let go of your stranglehold on the story and just let it be. Mm-hmm. So there's this scene early in the film where Jason is pitching his idea for waves to to Bob Marshall and Bob Marshall goes, oh, I love it, except you've got to get the groans right. Um, And I think while we were watching it today, I think our reaction to that was sort of just like laugh at this guy who's like heard a kind of poorly thought out and underdeveloped idea for a film and like be instantly on board and be like, 
so obsessed with this one tiny little detail. I guess. I think you might be misrepresenting Bob Marshall, though, in that moment. I don't think he's necessarily, like, super on board. I think he's he's really into everything about the film, except for the fact that Alain Shabbat's character hasn't, like, adequately thought through the groan. And, like, it, there's, this, there's this very specific, like, shift in tone and power when, like, Bob Marshall uh, realizes that Alain Shabbat hasn't given thought to the groan. And he's, like, you know, sitting on the edge of the desk, like, they're chatting over here and then he realizes this and stands up and walks around to the other side of the desk and sits down so they're on opposite sides of the desk again and he's like i'm gonna be honest with you i really like this idea but (laughs) 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 but if you haven't given thought to the groan like it needs to be an oscar-winning groan um (laughs) like he's he's not he's not like oh yeah we gotta make sure the groan's good he's like very serious about the groan Uh which i think i think that's where the humor comes from is like of all of the things to be really serious about um it's the fact that like the groan has to be totally right and he puts all this pressure on alen shabbat to get it right in in two days right right i i think you're totally right i i also think that the fact that that moment is funny reveals that in that moment we're not watching this movie correctly because (laughs) i i think bob marshall has his finger on the pulse of like why you should be watching this movie and it's not because it's like a single perfectly thought out story world it's because the story like keeps you interested and is compelling and i think in this sort of silly example the groans are what is compelling about waves so when you're when you say this film like the bob marshall knows uh, what's keeping you interested in this film are you referring to reality or you're referring to waves yeah oh okay so bob marshall is a character in in reality the reason he's so focused on the groan is because he knows that's the the the, the most interesting part of this story in the film reality and that it would make for a good movie for us watching reality to see Alain Shabbat try and get a, a, the groan right. Is that what you're saying? Um, uh, not quite. Maybe I, I start over. Um, really what I mean is that this example of, of a film within a film and like these two characters in the film reality talking about another film waves is sufficient to tell us the audience about the film reality as though these two characters are talking about the film reality. Oh, I see. Okay. So I, I, I see what you're saying now. There's this whole meta commentary thing going on where the characters Mm -hmm. in the film are talking about like another fictional film, uh, waves. Uh, but the things they say about waves also applies to reality. The film we're watching right now, Uh just as, uh, Zog's and Bob Marshall's commentary on Zog's film also applies to the film reality that we're watching now when 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 bob is like uh, i don't my patience is wearing thin and zog is like be patient we have to wait absolutely yeah um it, it would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the fact that the the film that alan shabbat's character uh, is pitching waves uh is literally just the plot of quentin dupia's other film rubber uh-huh, which just, is like <laughs> replace the the tire with tvs and that's, that's right that's rubber waves. rubber is about a telekinetic tire that goes and 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 wreaks havoc upon a small town by exploding people's heads um and and it's about like law enforcement trying to bring this tire to justice uh, <laughs> and uh, alan shabbat's film waves is about you know telekinetic tvs using waves to uh to I kill everyone it's a it's an yeah. awful uh, plot it's a terrible story the story of everybody dies on on, on all of earth there's uh-huh. no one left 
<laughs> the end. No hope. <laughs> what, a, what an awful story, too. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying about the commentary that, that sort of happens in a meta sense between... Yeah, and this is a, a tool that's used several times throughout the movie. Um, because Alain Shabbat actually like goes to a movie theater and sees the movie Waves, which he hasn't made yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, this film, it's not done yet. I am the director. <laughs> it will be much better uh, when, I, when I finish it. <laughs> you cannot watch this movie yet. <laughs> and... And when he's saying that, like, in front of the film waves, he's also saying it in front of the film reality. Yeah. And he's saying, you can't watch this this film yet. I haven't <laughs> made it. Which is, uh, <laughs> maybe that's true. And, like, maybe that's part of what makes the plot so so nonsensical. It, it doubles back on itself in time. And maybe that's because it hasn't been made yet. <laughs> I guess. But I, th- I think the thing that matters the more is that for Alain Shabbat's character, uh, character Jason, um, his film, Waves has not been made yet and like his reality is that he hasn't yet made his film so when he's confronted with this contradictory uh set of circumstances where someone else has made the film waves um and it's not good and the groan isn't right he he can't like that can't be his reality Mm. and so he tries to explain it away um and he tries to deny it and 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 you know but he and that is what propels him into this nightmare where like these two realities uh start clashing um and he has to you know try and reconcile the conflict between those two realities you see Mm. what i mean yeah yeah the other interesting thing is that alain shabbat is himself a director a writer an actor a film filmmaker. Um, Alain Shabbat directed the highest budget and highest grossing uh, French film uh, at the time it was made, Asterix et Obelix, uh, Mission Cleopatra, uh, which is this really funny uh, film adaptation of the comics Asterix and Obelix. Um, and he plays Julius Caesar in the film. He directed the movie. So he's this, he's this huge, big name director. Um, <laughs> and within this film, he plays a director <laughs> and it's just it, that adds to the absurdity of it that it's a len shabbat who is like you cannot watch this film uh i haven't finished it yet <laughs> as if that would be like a len shabbat's relationship with his work you know what i mean uh-huh. it's just so absurd yeah and, and to top it all off rubber two is playing at the same theater <laughs> <laughs> yeah a, a, a fake imaginary sequel to quentin dupieux's uh, rubber uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, any time I think any artistic medium contains an example of its medium within itself, I think it starts kind of having this self-commentary and sort of meta quality, like, just by that choice. You know what I mean? Uh Um, There's this interesting example of, like, Christopher Nolan chose, for instance, to change uh, in Batman Begins. Uh, Originally, the Wayne family was supposed to be going to a movie theater. And in the comics, they go to a movie theater, and it's when they leave the movie theater that uh, uh, the Wayne parents are killed um and and bruce is orphaned Mm. um in batman begins chris nolan chose uh for that entertainment venue to be the opera as opposed to the the movie theater because and he says this in an interview because if it were to be a cinema there would be this just it opens this can of worms of like just commentary on the medium itself um Mm -hmm. and so there's the reason he avoided that now another example going the opposite direction is 
another Quentin uh, film director, Quentin Tarantino, who uh, in Inglorious Bastards has at sort of the the pivotal climactic scene, uh, uh, Hitler and sort of the the Nazi party uh, going and watching this uh, 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 film in a movie theater, and uh, these American uh, spies, uh, I guess you'd call them the bastards, uh-huh. uh, exploding a bomb and killing all these Nazis. Uh-huh. Um, and there's all this commentary in that about the German Nazis uh, really enjoying watching this film about a German sniper um, killing the enemy. Um, and uh, and we're supposed to sort of be r- repulsed and sort of disturbed by them enjoying all of this violence and gore and, and it being morally wrong. And then we have all of this like violence porn that we watch as we see the Nazis go up in flames uh-huh. as an audience. Um, and so there's this commentary on us as moviegoers as well, sort of indulging in the same kinds of uh, violent imagery that we are quick to judge and be repulsed by other characters watching um, just because we don't agree with them. You know what I mean? Right. And not to say that we should be light on Nazis, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the commentary in in Glorious Bastards applies to the whole film because the the whole film is is about these American spies going around and killing Nazis. And so it's not just that moment in the theater, but it's as though the the film that the Nazis are are very excited about is analogous um, (laughs) in its entirety to the entirety of uh, the film that, uh, you know, Americans get to be excited about. (laughs) Yeah, wherever your morals come from, like whether it's hating other people or whether it's like trying to defend freedom or or whatever, you know, Uh however you want to describe it, uh, still the act is the same, like it's an act of violence. Um, And it's not to say that those are like morally equivalent, but it's just that like aesthetically, it's the same tactics um like Mm -hmm. it's it's still uh murder it's still death um it's still killing um so yeah and so that scene really is just characters in a movie watching an analog to the movie they are in itself um and and something very interesting happens in reality where reality the little girl reality is uh, literally watching the movie reality itself, as far as we can tell, right? When she finally sees what's on the tape. Uh-huh. It's, it's like reality, the film, watching itself, uh, it, because it's, it's re- <laughs> reality, the girl watching the tape, and the thing on the tape is the film reality. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, it, just in a pun, right? In, in the sense of a pun where, like, the little girl is named reality, and she's watching the film reality, but also the fact that, like, uh, Zog and Bob Marshall, who are in the film reality are watching uh-huh. the little girl reality uh-huh. watching Alain Shabbat in the film reality. Yeah. Um, so it's like these layers of the film watching itself. And I guess there's a sense of like all films are aware of themselves. All, all, all artistic mediums are aware that they're in a specific artistic medium. Um, I think right. just reality of the film makes a, a, a big deal out of that in a way that, uh, you know, it, it becomes more about sort of commentary and self-awareness than it is. A, a, I, I don't want to say that it's less about characters and less about story, because I think it is just as much about characters and story. But Right, and, and its point in being self-aware of itself as, as a film is it being self-aware that the stories are the most important parts mm. and, and really making you know us aware as well that, that the story is the most important part of, or the stories, plural, <laughs> are the most important parts of this film. And the structure just kind of gives way like heeds right. to yeah whatever the stories need yeah just like keep watching it because <laughs> huh. that's what the film's doing <laughs> okay so reality is a trip 
Okay. Uh-huh. It's really confusing. Um, it, it, you know, it throws you off the scent constantly. It's structurally indiscernible. Um, but what is discernible about it? Like what, what is the reason we keep watching? Um, I think it, it, I think it does demonstrate like what we, what structures we do watch films for mm. and the structures that don't necessarily matter. And I, 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 you know, it, we, it's easier, I think, to talk about all the ways that, oh, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And, oh, these structures are kind of just go all over the place and meta commentary and all this stuff. That's, I think, the most evident parts of the film. I think mm-hmm. the, the magic of the film lies in the things that it doesn't draw as much attention to, but which are there, like, it's just sort of motors that are always running that keep you interested. What are those motors? You Can I take I mean? a wild guess? Yeah, Sure. I think in the first place, reality, the girl herself, because because I kind of empathize with her in like trying to like live her life. And there's like someone filming her all the time. And there's her parents who are like, what you think is real isn't real. And she's just like having having a time of it. She wants to know what's on her tape and she's got all these barriers up against her. And so yeah. we get to root for her the whole time. I agree. There's this there's this little girl who is just pursuing the truth, who has witnessed something she can't explain and doesn't understand and doesn't even quite know what it is yet. Yeah. But knows she knows that it's important and everybody, her parents, her teachers, her her superintendent, the guy at the adult who walked in on her trying to play the tape at school, uh-huh. they are all dead set on um trying to crush her spirit in pursuing you know whatever this thing is that she discovered they all are like no you're tired go to sleep no you shouldn't be watching tapes during recess like hand it over to me give it up go to bed Uh um and i think it's there's it's just we we empathize with this like pursuit of of the truth even though it's presented in this very absurd way Mm -hmm. uh where all these characters are 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 absurd and and humorous and ridiculous and funny um and the 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 line the literal lines they say um you know are crazy the the teacher going like um you know "Mm -hmm, yeah now those are examples of what we would call plants (laughs) So what else does a hog eat? Like the, I love the teacher character because uh-huh. she's so like she looks just so totally brainwashed, um, and so like optimistic, and and the way she's teaching is so like condescending and annoying and dumb, and all the students are like, um, yeah, um, she's like a caricature of a second grade teacher. Rotten fruit, <laughs> yeah, rotten fruit, good. <laughs> <laughs> and reality is like hogs can swallow cassette tapes. And everyone laughs at her. You know, there's this thing of like, mm-hmm. you know, she and she says like, I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I know what I saw. Uh-huh. Um, 100%. I think there's all of these characters who are in like, it, the literal storytelling is absurd and funny and ridiculous. But I think the, the abstract concept of their situations, uh, a mm-hmm. film director under pressure who's passionate about a project, who is trying his best to, you know, make it happen and is willing to uh, undergo this trial of, of having to get the groan right. He's so dedicated to his work. He's willing to uh, do all of these absurd things and end up in these absurd situations to try and get the right kind of groan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's... that's 
it's so relatable and so so empathetic. Um, just watching these characters who have passions and dreams um, and nightmares, like uh-huh. their dreams turning to nightmares and mm. the obstacles they face and the tactics they use um, in an absurd world and in a world where all of their all of their individual characters are kind of indifferent to each other. And it, at the end of the day, it doesn't really quite matter how their different realities relate. Um, you know, they cross paths in weird ways that sort of, they, they it, 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 like pinball off of each other um, within dreams and nightmares. And But they're all navigating this world uh, where there's multiple realities, where it, there's waking and sleeping and, and uh, dreaming and seeing and, um, and different worlds of school and home and work and um and there's somewhere i think just reality the film kind of shows us uh we're all kind of passing through these different strange worlds um but what matters is like the the goals we're pursuing and the things that we love and you know uh not giving up uh even though things are weird and crazy and confusing yeah and even if the frame of your story changes you you still get to live your story right through all of them even if they don't make sense and I think it's also related to comedy that, that is funny because it's absurd. Where, like, you can have, like, a totally absurd comedy, which in many ways reality is. <laughs> um, and, and it's still, like, dramatically compelling because the stories can s- still be, like, so true to life. And uh, you do often, like, find yourself in like IRL in in reality Um, (laughs) you do find yourself in like really absurd situations that are still really important to you and feel very dramatic even though you can sort of look back on them later and go oh my god that was so absurd and like laugh about it like forever Um, and and so I think that part of the reason these stories in these absurd frames are so compelling is that we often find ourselves in journeys and in stories when the world around us like does seem totally absurd and we still get to experience the drama and the comedy of it Mm, yeah yeah and they're kind of one and the same yeah and the fact that something is funny doesn't mean it's not dramatic right and the fact that something is dramatic might be the thing that makes it funny later (laughs) yeah You know what just occurred to me? What? On most of our episodes, we sort of pinpoint various aspects of films, like cinematography and like lighting and sound design and score and acting, and we uh-huh. sort of analyze them through those various lenses. Yeah. With this discussion, we haven't zeroed in on the, like any one element of the film and kind of seen mm. it through and broken it down, uh-huh. which, you know, like good tech in theater is like when you don't even notice it's there Uh and like a good movie score, you know, is often you didn't even realize that there was music in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a testament to how successful this film is at doing what it's trying to do, that we walk away talking about the meaning of it and barely have to even uh, mention different artistic elements that, that work together to create uh, the experience that we've had. Right. Yeah. I think that's so true. Like the craft is is so subtle and so effective that it it it's not drawing attention to itself. Yeah, and it's being used in such creative ways that it's more about kind of the relationship between things than it is uh-huh. about any one of them, uh, you know, speaking to another. Mm, it's yeah. more about just how they uh, uh, contrast or or relate or argue or 
connect or disconnect, you know, uh-huh. which is just very artful and, and, and very complex and very cool. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Austin, for recommending this oh, very complex and very cool film for what us a to great watch and break down on the pod. Yeah. Um, this has been our discussion on uh, uh, Reality by Quentin Dupieux. Uh-huh. Watch it. It's a great film. Oh my God. It's wonderful. Hopefully, if you're at this point of the podcast, you've <laughs> already watched it. <laughs> uh, otherwise, your, your first experience watching Reality will uh, be pretty unique. Yeah, but everyone's experience of watching Reality for the first time is a pretty unique one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fair. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for listening. Um, as always, if you have favorite films and TV episodes you'd like us to listen to, please write us uh we would love to uh watch your suggestions and uh and uh, geek out about them for 45 minutes <laughs> yeah so our, our email where you can send us suggestions is are you watching closely podcast at gmail.com yeah you can also catch us over on our patreon which is in the description where we post a lot of uh, cool supplemental articles and things um, to go along with the pod. There's stuff on Patreon that everyone can see, not just patrons. Mm-hmm. But if you are a patron, you do get access to our companion podcast, Close Viewers, which is like a watch along uh, mm-hmm. where we can sort of break things down in real time as we watch each film and TV episode in preparation for recording this show. Yeah, and you'll you'll also get exclusive cut for time segments and uh, outtakes from the regular show. Yeah, it's pretty fun over there. Thanks for yeah. being part of the uh, the community. Of, of, of close viewers people watching closely we'd love to hear from you we'd love to know who's a part of the community and, yeah. and get in touch and all that stuff so let's keep connecting uh, once again thanks for listening and we'll catch you on our next episode bye bye